It's Life with Jerry Williams. You found it, the podcast. Thanks so much for allowing me to spend just a couple of minutes with you. On this week's episode, something a friend said a while back got me thinking about something that has been rattling around in my brain since like the fourth or fifth grade, and I've finally put pen to paper and and coalesce those thoughts a little bit. I'm going to share those with you here. It's a little bit about God's sense of humor and a little bit about nuclear physics. (laughs) And that's coming up. Plus, if you like naps, oh man, do I have some good news for you. All that is coming up on this episode of Life with Jerry Williams. I love naps. I, I, I take them whenever I can. I don't know what I was thinking when I was a kid and my mom would tell me time for a nap and I would get upset. If I had known then what I know now, I would have been taking naps from the very beginning. Of course, you don't always get an opportunity to take a nap if you work at a place that kind of frowns on sleeping on the job. You're out of luck. But on the weekends, oh, especially Sunday afternoons, Sundays were made for naps, especially wintertime or spring when it's raining and you can't really get outside to do anything. You're nice and full from a big Sunday lunch. Oh, there's nothing like a nap. And I am not alone. Matter of fact, the folks at Mattress Nerd, yes, a mattress company, you figured they would do this, commissioned a survey about naps. And here's some of the things they found. And this is what you need to tell someone the next time they accuse you of being a lazy, good-for-nothing bum for taking a nap. Nappers are much better off, better adjusted, more productive than non-nappers. Nappers are more likely than non-nappers to be productive, 93 to 65%. They are more career-driven. Nappers, more career-driven. 78% of nappers, more career-driven. And they have a healthier work-life balance. And after a nap, people said they feel relaxed, happy, and energized. Of course, there are a few who say they feel confused and groggy, too. But we all, you know, those are people who are getting a little too much into the naps. 55% of all respondents said that they would take a pay cut if they could nap on the job. I don't know if I'd be willing to go that far, but I'd consider it. Uh, Other things that nappers said that they would do to be able to take a nap, they'd go back in time and relive high school. 33% of people said, if I could take naps all the time, I would do that. I'd go back and relive high school. Live with my parents for the rest of my life. People would do that for a nap. Live in a studio apartment with your childhood bully for an entire year. 30% of Americans said, for a nap? Yeah, I'd put up with the bully for a year. Give up Netflix for life. Ooh, that's a tough one. But people say they're willing to do it. Give up using Uber for five years. Oh, man, I'd do that in a minute. I've never used Uber. Never have access to Wi-Fi ever again. More than a quarter of the people surveyed say, yes, for naps, I would give up Wi-Fi. Give up sex for a year. I'm going to leave that one up to you. Live alone in the woods with no electricity for three months. You know, that's a situation just made for napping. What else are you going to do? Give up all electronic devices for a month. A quarter of the people said they would do that for naps. And only travel by foot anywhere you go for a year. 22% of people said they would be willing to. To do that. Now, why do people not nap? Well, the biggest reason is that 
They can't get comfortable to take a nap. And the second biggest reason, they're a little worried that they won't be able to sleep later on. Let me tell you, as a habitual napper, as as an, a nap addict, that's never been a problem for me. I can sleep anywhere, anytime. If you haven't done so yet, why don't you give a nap a try? You'll feel better. An old friend of mine named Jeff was telling me about a difficult time he'd gone through some time back. He shared how God had intervened, and he used the phrase, he held me together when I felt torn apart. Well, that got me thinking about a topic that's been rattling around in my brain since grammar school science, one that occasionally works its way back to the front of the line of stuff I wonder about when I I really ought to be doing something more productive. It was fourth or fifth grade, and the teacher had handed out a bunch of magnets marked with plus and minus signs. And she told us to hold the positive sides together and then the negative. Well, the magnets exerted a force strong enough to push one magnet away from the other. Then she told us to hold the positive side to the negative side, and the magnets snapped together. Wonderful way of demonstrating the law that states opposite forces attract and like forces repel. Well, a month or so later, we had moved on to the atom. We learned the basic structure and parts of the atom, negatively charged electrons orbiting around the nucleus, which is made up of positively charged protons and neutral neutrons. Wait a minute, I thought to myself. Something doesn't line up here, remembering our magnet experiment. I raised my hand. So all the protons are positive, I asked? Yes, that's correct, the teacher answered. And they're all in a tight little ball in the middle of the atom in the, whatchamacallit, the nucleus. Yes, that's right, she said. You could almost feel the excitement welling up inside her as she thought she had finally gotten through to one of us. And like forces repel, I asked. Um, um, yes, they, uh, well, what I mean to say is she could feel it coming. And she knew she was going to have to pull off some fancy intellectual footwork to dance her way around this one. So why don't the protons repel each other and go shooting all over the place? And if opposite forces attract, then why don't those electrons get attracted to the protons, I pressed. Hey, yeah, how come atoms aren't blowing themselves apart all over the place? A couple of other kids chimed in. Well, she swallowed hard enough that it could be heard out in the hallway. Then all of the color drained from her face. She was stymied. She closed her eyes and, in direct violation of then-recent court rulings and school policies, she said a silent prayer, asking the Lord for some escape. He heard her. The bell rang, and we didn't return to the subject of the atom for the rest of the semester. Now, just a quick disclaimer here. I am not a nuclear physicist, nor have I studied nuclear physics. But I have done a little research on the subject, the operative word being little. And I have discovered how scientists have attempted to explain what holds the atom together. The force of the protons is pretty strong. So the force that holds them together must be even stronger. So they call it the strong force or the strong nuclear force or the residual strong force. Well, apparently the strong force is generated by something called quarks. There are other particles in the nucleus of the atom, smaller than protons and neutrons, and these include some that exist for about a billionth of a second. There are leptons, mesons, 
croutons and bacon bits, which have about that same shelf life at my house. One scientist, in an attempt to differentiate between atoms with varying degrees of stability, came up with the idea of a magic number. Those atoms with the magic number of protons are the most stable. Now, now I see why my fifth grade teacher was so shaken up. Let me go out on a limb here. I know. I risk the ridicule of the scientific community armed with their magical quarks and periodic tables, but here I go. Do you suppose that the strong force may be related to what Paul was talking about when he wrote, He, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together? Now, I'm not really one of those either-or type of guys. I'm perfectly happy to allow the scientists their quarks. But I also believe that the quarks or croutons or whatever you want to call them could very well be God's way of making all things hold together. And I suspect that he may have done it just that way to confound us. Now, I imagine the scene in heaven. It's the dawn of creation And it goes something like this. The angels are looking over the plans, double-checking them against the various laws of nature that God has ordained. And one of them sees the apparent contradiction I discovered back in the fifth grade. And he takes it to the Lord. Um, Lord, we, uh, we may have a small problem here. What is it, Benny? The Lord answers. Well, uh, we have this like forces repel rule, Benny starts to explain. Yes, that's right, the Lord says. But this plan for the atom has all these positively charged protons crowded together in the nucleus, Benny goes on. And the problem is, the Lord replies, well, how do we keep all these atoms from exploding all over the place, Benny blurts out. Don't worry, Benny. I'll hold it together, the Lord tells him. But Lord, won't that cause mankind all kinds of confusion once they discover these rules and the makeup of the atom, Benny asks. Yes, Benny. Yes, it will, the Lord says with a smile. Now, to some, the thought that God holds the nucleus of atoms together is foolishness. But they neglect another principle, that God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. And if he made and holds all things together, then we can trust him to hold us together when we feel like we're being torn apart. Thank you, Jeff for reminding me of that. That will about wrap it up for another episode of Life with Jerry Williams. Thanks again for spending some time with me, allowing me to be a part of your day today. Please do, if your podcast platform allows it, give us a five-star rating, a review, uh, tell other people about the podcast. All that helps other folks find out about what we're doing. I will put in the show notes... Uh, a link to my website, jerrywilliamsmedia.com, and you can contact me through that website if you ever have any questions about anything you hear or you have any suggestions for things that you would like to hear in future episodes of the podcast. Coming up next week, I am going to share a story about someone who is very excited to learn, my grandson, Trenton. he's, He's in kindergarten, he's learning math, and he's so excited, and how we should be able to carry on that love for learning with a little bit of added discernment. That's coming up on the next episode of Life with Jerry Williams. 